ಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನ ಪರಮಂದೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಜಸ್ಟ್ ನಾವ್ ಐ ಸೋ ಮೈ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ಕಮಿಂಗ್ ಹಿಯರ್ ವಿತ್ ಟೂ ಬುಕ್ಸ್ ಇನ್ಸ್ಟೆಡ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಯೂಶುವಲ್ ಒನ್ ವಿತ್ ಸ್ಮೈಲಿಂಗ್ ಬಿಕಾಸ್ ಇಟ್ ರಿಮೈಂಡೆಡ್ ಮೀ ಆಫ್ ದಿಸ್ ಮಂಕ್ ವೆರಿ ಸೀನಿಯರ್ ವೆರಿ ಸೇಂಟ್ಲಿ ಓಲ್ಡ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಹೂಸ್ ಪ್ಯಾಸ್ ರೀಸೆಂಟ್ಲಿ ಫ್ಯೂ ಇಯರ್ಸ್ ಬ್ಯಾಕ್ ಸ್ವಾಮಿ ಮುಮುಕ್ಷಾನಂದಜಿ ಹಿ ವಾಸ್ ದ ಪ್ರೆಸಿಡೆಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಅದ್ವೈತ ಆಶ್ರಮ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಮೆನಿ ಅದರ್ ಪ್ಲೇಸಸ್ ಸೊ ದ ಫನಿ ಥಿಂಗ್ ಅಬೌಟ್ ಹಿಮ್ ವರ್ಸ್ ದ್ಯಾಟ್ whenever he would go to give a talk he would be so worried about misquoting or missing a reference um so all the things that he would want to say uh, for all the references from the different books he would get all the books um uh, well not in a cart but it would require another monk an assistant monk to bring all his books and we has as young monks we would make fun of that i, would, I remember sniggering at that now i'm on my way <laughs> i don't need an assistant yet but i'm be- i'm beginning to see <laughs> i think uh, yeah all the things that we make fun of when we are younger we end up doing the same things <laughs> when we get older and yeah, he was a very saintly soul i mean it used to be said and very vastly learned very precise as you might imagine but very humble again it used to be said i don't know how true it is and we used to make fun of this that he was so respectful of the senior monks his seniors that if he he even received a telephone call from the, the the general secretary or the vice president he would stand up and receive the call and not only that it is rumored i haven't seen this he would take off his sandals because he's on holy ground <laughs> i mean come on the person doesn't even see you standing up or taking off his sandals but for him <laughs> but this is so funny for us but as time goes on uh, i'm touched i'm like yeah. i mean i have so many stories i hardly saw him a few times only uh, i remember uh, him in a he was the president of this ashram high in the mountains it's called the mayavati ashram advaita ashram and once i was visiting i was the, literally the junior most monk there not even a monk i was a novice i was a brahmachari i was visiting and there were many other monks and novices and um guests and and there were cooks and workers i remember when i was leaving that ashram everybody is the famous indian afternoon siesta so i was leaving nobody around and i saw this old swami the head the president of the entire organization he was standing in the kitchen and he said come here and he was slicing an apple and making a little food packet <laughs> to go for me I said swami you don't have to do that you have to eat you'll buy it from a shop why not take it from an ashram and he's doing it himself slicing an apple he doesn't want to bother anybody in the afternoon but he's kept track that this youngest most inconsequential member is going to go down from the mountains into the plains so i was i can't forget these things and i still remember the last time i saw him um he was dying uh, and on his bed and he blessed me even he heard that i'm going away from the monastery coming to the united states so anyway <laughs> <laughs>
long story short <laughs> yeah now there's a reason why i've got the other book there's a precise <laughs> i want to be precise about it there's something that krishna will say and something wonderful that adi shankaracharya does with it a commentary very perceptive very beautiful work that and it needs to be quoted precisely that's why i've got the book now we are on the 10th chapter of the bhagavad gita it is called vibhuti yoga the yoga of uh, divine glories what does this mean remember we are in the section of the bhagavad gita which is about devotion love of god krishna is god arjuna is the devotee and krishna is teaching him love of god you know how do you uh, there's a chair over here also and there's someone there also yeah now this love of god devotion which is called bhakti it's interesting to see how we understand god one way would be just the very beginning would be say krishna is god for me or rama is god for me and that's it all these other conceptions of god all these ways in which god is worshiped in different religions they are all false they are all wrong because it's only in this form that i shall worship god and it need not be just with forms it could be without form just the way it has been revealed to me in the scriptures of my religion that is the correct that is the true one true god and everything else is false or wrong um that's the that's not Uh, wrong but it's just preliminary it's it's kindergarten religion and that leads to a lot of problems um from idolatry on one extreme to fanaticism on the other all of it comes from this narrow conception of god a better higher conception of god is that all of these divine forms with form without form male female whichever form whatever you see the entire spectrum of divinities which you see they are all one reality it is true that there is only one god but not in the sense of this is right and everything else is wrong rather it is that one formless existence consciousness bliss satchidananda the absolute reality which creates preserves and destroys this entire universe the god of religion can be experienced and has been experienced in different ways by mystics spiritual seekers in different religions different civilizations across the world that's basically the hindu understanding saguna brahman brahman with attributes can come in with form and the form can be male forms multiple male forms female forms without gender human forms non human forms elemental forms like sky and fire and so on space and um it it, it can be uh, without forms also all of that is correct because that one for the formless can can take many forms if you fix it on one form then it will clash with all other forms this is the name the name of my god is x and the form in which he or she appears is this y and then everything else must be wrong in uh, in contrast to this a formless uh, impersonal principle can be experienced in multiple forms in multiple personalities and all of them they are all are all right so the way i worship god what i see here and what i see in a shiva temple the shiva linga there and what i see in a krishna temple the image of krishna or the picture of krishna what i see in durga puja what i um, what i'm what i'm seeing in a christian church 
everywhere for me it's the same reality in so many different ways that's the advantage and it prevents fanaticism also even further krishna starts at the next level um, the third level first level one form right everything else wrong second level impersonal principle appearing in multiple forms in different religions different traditions all of it is actually one reality not different gods third level what about this universe the one which we are directly experiencing all the time the way god is understood in religion is that theistic uh, religions understand god as the creator the one common idea among christians and jews and muslims and the theistic varieties of hinduism is that god is the creator preserver at least the creator of the universe in hinduism the whole thing creator preserver destroyer of the entire universe but then what is this universe and here in this 10th chapter krishna reveals that um this universe is the glory of god vibhuti it's the power the glory the magnificent it's god shining forth basically how does that work krishna says that notice if you if you consider god to be the creator of this universe god is the cause the ultimate cause and that is accepted by all theistic religions there's an enormous amount of christian theology for example god is the first cause the unmoved mover the first principle from which everything comes now krishna says if that is true consider something like some what is called a material cause material cause means wood is the material out of which this table is made water is the material out of which waves are made gold is the material out of which ornaments golden ornaments are made if god is the material out of which the universe is made what follows thereby the material cause continues in the effect uh, wood which is the material cause of the table is right here it's not that the wood disappears and then the table comes it's not that the gold disappears and then the ornament comes no the effect is then what is an effect the effect is just a name a form and a function i shouldn't say just it's a big thing you give it a new name um, it's a bracelet gold the same gold you're giving it a new name it's a bracelet you're giving it a new form like this and you're giving it a new function you can put it on your wrist so name form and function change and that's what we really are interested in in this world you're all interested in names forms and functions what what is the underlying reality the underlying reality of any effect is the material cause the underlying reality of the universe is its material cause what is the material cause of uh, this universe god says who says every theistic religion every religion that believes in god every religion that believes in god believes in god as the creator from from the from krishna's perspective it's not that all the religions agree they don't because there are um, theistic forms the theistic religions which stop at the second idea of god or even at the first idea of god this is god revealed to us by our scripture that's it everything else is wrong or this is god appears in as god in all um, religions that's it but now third idea krishna has introduced in vibhuti yoga this is god the one impersonal principle who appears in all personalities in all forms in which we worship gods and goddesses whatever it is and that also appears as this universe this universe basically is that is is that is one the god which you worship why how how is this universe god yeah. it's because we have all agreed god is the creator of the universe 
one way, the one idea of creation is, I don't want to get into the technicalities, it's called satkaryavada, that the effect pre-existing as an unmanifest form in the cause. The cause itself basically becomes the effect. The wood becomes, I mean, for me, as a non-dualist, the word is, the, I'll keep saying, appears. But, all right, you can say becomes. The wood becomes the table. The water becomes the wave. I, I mean, it's difficult for me to say becomes because <laughs> the non-dualist will say, does not become. That's wrong. <laughs> so, then, what is this universe? It's the glory of God. So, that's where we were. Um, the seventh verse, all these we have done. This is Vibhuti Yoga. The yoga of vibhuti, and I had gone into a deeper meaning of what yoga could mean, what vibhuti could mean. Vibhuti means glory. Those who know, the seventh verse Krishna says, Yo veti tattvata, the one who, ones who know this in reality. What do you mean in reality? As, as I explained just now. Otherwise, you know the universe is a universe. Here's a man, here's a woman, where's God? Here's a table, there's a chair, where's God? But if you say that this is an effect, God is the creator, then God is the material cause, then in some sense this also must be God. There must be divinity present here, imminent. And so Swami Vivekananda said, we Hindus worship a transcendent imminent God. A God who is beyond this universe, beyond time, space, causation, but also in and through everything that you experience. Then what happens? Um, so avikampena yogena, seventh verse. Yujyate natra samshaya. There is no doubt the one who understands this will worship, you will practice, will be joined to me, joined to God but by unshakable yoga, by an unshakable practice. Why an unshakable practice? The one who understands this, for that person God is no longer invisible. See this is the magic of this vibhuti yoga. If you think of God as just Krishna or just as um, our father in heaven, it's a matter of faith. You may think in that way. Your neighbor may not think in that way. And the third person, maybe an atheist, will not at all think at all of these God at all. Better than that is that one personality, one impersonal principle, the second level, appearing as the God, um, the various ways in the Hindus worship God, or the Muslims, Christians, Jews. That's a little better than you find in every religion we are worshipping the same thing. That's a little more real. Then, even more real is this, because this universe is real to us. If in some way we can see divinity in this universe, that makes it even more real. Because the first level and the second level still depend a lot on faith. You are not seeing that God which you believe in. But here you are seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. All the while we thought, this is a material world, that's it. If we understand this material world more deeply, then we come across divinity. We come across God. Now for this person who understands, God is no longer a matter of faith, not so much. No longer hidden. <coughs> Swami Ashokanji says, where will you find God? Foolish question, where will you not find God? What does he mean by that? This. God is now every door, every entity in this universe is a door leading to divinity. Every, in the eyes of every human being, and every living being, is the same light shining forth. Just the very, in every entity, there's the same God shining forth. You might say, that's very, very poetic, but how? I don't see anything shining forth here. <laughs> yeah. 
has existence. If you know Vedanta, you see, does it not exist? The chair you're sitting on exists. If it didn't, you'd be pretty soon sitting on the carpet. The carpet exists. The very existence of all things is borrowed from God. God lends existence to this universe. It's not just non-dual Vedanta which says this. Every school of dualistic, devotional schools of Vedanta, they all say in a different sense, metaphysically different sense. I have to be careful. There are <laughs> Advaita teachers here, highly trained. So in metaphysically different sense, Vishishta Advaita, Shuddha Advaita, they all say that the universe depends on God in a different way from Advaita. Christian theology. God is that primal being which um, lends being to this entire universe. It's basic uh, Catholic theology. So in that sense, God is shining forth as the very existence of this universe. God is shining forth as in every um, flash of consciousness that we have, every experience we are having as consciousness itself. God is shining forth as the purpose, value, the love, the beauty, the, the point of this entire meaning of this entire universe. So in all of these ways, God is present visibly for those who understand. Those who understand this Vibhuti Yoga, the glory of this. And then the eighth verse said, repeating the key, that Aham Sarvasya Prabhavo Matta Sarvam Pravartate Iti Matva, knowing that I am the source of everything, from me has come everything. He's saying I am the material cause of this universe. All right. And then what do such people do? There's a very beautiful verse which we did last time. Machitta madgata prana bodhayanta parasparam katayanta shchamam nityam tushyanticha ramanticha. Their minds, these people, these devotees, these lovers of God who have understood this, their minds become absorbed in me. Their senses become absorbed in me. That means they are always engaged with me, with God, in some spiritual activity or the other. Bodhayanta parasparam. What is their relationship with others? Their, their relationship with everybody else is a spiritual relationship. They talk about God to others. They explain God to others and you know, the commentator says with the help of scriptures, they explain God to others, each other and uh, they are benefited thereby. Having explained, they sing the glory. Kirtana, they sing the glory of God. They praise God. And what happens? Tushyanti. They are deeply satisfied. They are happy with this. And Ramanti, Ramanti in a material sense is enjoyment of pleasures in the world. Here it means enjoyment of God. They, they deeply enjoy God. Now we'll go ahead. The tenth verse. Tesham satata yuktanam Tesham satata yuktanam Bhajatam priti purvakam Bhajatam priti purvakam dadami buddhi yogam tam dadami buddhi yogam tam yena maam upayantite yena maam upayantite to these who are thus ever devoted to me and worship me with love i give that yoga of understanding by which they come unto me now we are going into the Fourth level, the deepest. There's another secret here to be revealed. Someone's like, what were the first three again? <laughs> God, just the way I, I want to worship. Only this, this form, this thing taught by my one religion. Preliminary. Not, not bad, but it's only a beginning. Then second, 
No, in all forms, in all religions, it is one impersonal reality appearing, experienced by the teachers, mystics, prophets of different religions. So it's one reality, one God. In Advaita Vedanta, it's Saguna Brahman, Brahman with attributes. That's second, much better, much wider. This wider is important, much more real. Better, wider, more real. Why more real? Because if I say um, this one form taught to me by my scriptures, my religion or my community, my church is real and everything else is false. That's sort of, a, uh, for any rational person, that's um, an argument for saying even your religion is also false in that case. If 99 other religions are false and only one religion is true, that's a pretty good argument and what you believe in is also wrong. <laughs> I remember this, um, I think, debate between atheists and I think it was Christopher Hitchens arguing with some religious person. He said that... Uh, um, Atheism is not making demands on you, you know. You, whatever religion he belonged to, you obviously don't believe in the gods of the ancient Greeks. All those gods, you don't believe in it. He said no. And you don't believe in the gods of the ancient Romans. No. You don't believe in the gods of the ancient Egyptians. No. So, you know, 99% of gods that the humanity has believed in since ancient times, you don't believe in them. No. You just believe in the one god which you believe in. Yep. So all atheism is, is trying to tell you is You have dismissed 99 gods Dismiss one more, that's it <laughs> Just one more <laughs> That's the problem with being uh, narrow and fanatic It's not real It's illogical and it's sort of um, obstinate And holding on to something that is indefensible More real is that If I say the mystics, the great masters, prophets in different religions have all found this same God in different ways. Now, if there's something that has been replicated across the centuries, across civilizations, across religions, that should be taken more seriously. Even more real becomes this world which I consider to be real now, which I see, hear, smell, taste, touch, which I dwell in. If you now can show me that God you're talking about is here. This is what is this world actually. It's the glory of this God, vibhuti of this God, even more real then. Because this, this universe is real for me. So it becomes more real. And finally, the fourth one, which, we'll, which we're coming to, it is the best, most real, and the wide, best, widest, and most real. We're coming to that now. Krishna says here, there's something more to be learned. These devotees who are ever engaged in my worship in this form, in this form as the glory of the glorious universe, the divine glories in this universe, um, I will give them buddhi yoga, enlightenment, by which they will attain me. And we, will, we will go like, wait a minute, this isn't enlightenment, seeing the glory of God in all this, this is great. Uh, but there's something more, there's something deeper. And he says, I will give. If you are engaged in worshipping God in this way, everywhere, your mind is expanded. Right? Instead of this one thing I'm worshipping, everywhere I see the divinity blazing forth. Again, I'm also simultaneously preparing a talk for Sunday where all this I'm saying is being cut to pieces by, 
like this is all literally wrong <laughs> but so this is the talk on the concept of the, the philosophy of the void of the shunyata so there is a school of they are called uh, prasangika madhyamaka uh, buddhists they will precisely attack this and they will show this is illogical anyway till, till we get there <laughs> um there is something deeper than this which krishna will tell us uh, that will also answer the prasangika madhyamaka buddhists by the way later on um but first these devotees satata yuktanam they become continuously engaged with me these devotees are continuously thinking of me worshiping me delighting in me and the practice yukta literally means practice so the their, their yoga their practice is continuous without a break now we have all heard anybody who studied religion has heard you have to think of god all the time but it's impossible it doesn't happen you can't think of any one thing all the time and yet you can how you can is this see uh, i read something nice that sam harris said some recently he um he said that we make a distinction between practice and life but actually life itself is the practice the only way you can continuously practice any kind of spiritual discipline if it's your life i mean it, it's integrated with your life you you're breathing all the time you don't have to practice breathing it's a good idea to breathe <laughs> you're perceiving thinking looking around all the time if our spiritual practice is as natural and continuous as this then we can um, effortlessly claim i am continuously practicing so why this continuous how is it possible it's only when what you are continuously experiencing you see that as god so what are you continuously experiencing this universe these people this life your life basically and if you have understood the the idea behind vibhuti yoga the yoga of divine glories you will see that here itself all pervading one divinity is there so this is one reason why continuous practice is possible in vibhuti yoga because you see god with eyes open and like ashokan ji said where will you not see god where will i see god foolish question where will you not see god because whoever is you are seeing this is a matter of understanding it's a matter, matter of understanding um but there's a deeper reason he says how do you practice continuously bhajatam priti purvakam worshiping serving with love with priti with an intimate closeness love see we make a distinction between spiritual practice and the rest of our life i do a lot of spiritual practice i sit early in the morning and meditate a lot and sit in the afternoon meditate a lot and sit in the evening and meditate a lot and after the meditation i say done <laughs> good done and i've done my meditation i've done my prayer i've done my studies awful awful terrible because you're making it some kind of effort apart from the rest of your life uh, here he says if you love god then it's no longer a matter of these hours are my hours for me and god and the rest of it is for for it's my time me time <laughs> that's god's time one may start religion that way but one should not stay there it should be converted into love it should not be a mechanical practice a forced practice see when there is love i'll give you two examples um a mother loves her kids and she is continuously engaged you know she is um, 
um, cooking and uh, cleaning and you know, teaching the child. And she's doing everything. She does. She does what a chef does. She does what a, the the a laundry does, and she does what a teacher does. And yet, she doesn't say that I have got all these jobs, and having done these jobs, now I have me time. Now I don't love that kid anymore. <laughs> Only that time. No, because she loves the kid, she doesn't think of it as multiple. I'm doing multiple jobs at the same time, and not even getting paid for it. <laughs> I'm a most difficult customer. No, out of sheer love, all of it is fine. She doesn't think of it as a job or work to be done or a practice to be done. Another example. I'm, um, I met this young man. Uh, he was working, uh, he, he was doing research in the cutting edge cosmology in the same department at Cambridge University where Stephen Hawking uh, was there. He was still alive at that time, uh, I think. So this young man, Indian man, uh, he was working there under... If I'm not wrong, Michael Green was, does anybody remember the successor to Stephen Hawking in the Lucasian professorship? I think so. So very elite department, cutting edge work. So I was, I'm always, I'm interested in, um, in focus, attention, academics. So I asked him, so how do you guys, you, your guide, how do you work? Uh, what are yours? Like you know, study times, study patterns, uh, methods of uh, he said, I don't know how to answer that because we are all the time at it. In the department, in the office, outside the office, when I actually spend 14 to 16 hours a day working um, in my you know, like little cubicle. And, but when I'm outside, it's not that I stopped working. When I'm eating, I'm uh, taking my bicycle down to my, my, where I stay, like a dorm. My guide, he gave me an example. We have worked at something for 10 hours. And then he drove back to his apartment in London. And I went back to my um, you know, the dorm with this bicycle. When I went there and opened my laptop, there was already an email about what we had been discussing. So he had been thinking about it in the car on the way and gets back and sends an email all the time. It's not a question of this is my job and I'll do practice here and that's the rest of it is me time. It's all the time because you love it. And real research, those who do real research in, in science in any field, it happens that way. You have to be completely absorbed in it. So he says, here he says, uses a beautiful word, preeti. Preeti means love, a very intimate, sweet love. Be because of which God becomes the most important thing in your life. Then you wouldn't want to do anything else at all. It, you'll think that's a waste of time, doing anything else. So to such devotees, such lovers of God, I will give them buddhi yoga, enlightenment. You know what the fourth one is going to be? It's going to be non-dual realization. <laughs> so the, the most real, the widest and uh, the best, I think, is going to come. A devotee, Swami Ramsukdashji, who was a jnani and also a bhakta, a devotee. He passed away a few years ago at the age of more than, I think, not a few years ago, quite some time back, 20 years back, uh, at the age of uh, 102, 103. Um, in his commentary, he says something interesting because he's a devotee. He says, look at this. I give enlightenment. And he says, as a devotee, as a lover of God, you don't even want that. God gives it. And you say, all right, it's an optional. It's a topping. <laughs> An and extra add-on. I have got what I want. I have my Lord and I have my love for my Lord and that's fulf I'm fulfilled. 
But the Lord thinks that I should be enlightened. I should have this non-dual realization. Fine, give it to me. So that's, that's an interesting thing that Ram Sukhdasji adds. That's a devotee's attitude. He says, look, notice, God says here, I give that to the devotee. All right. The next one. What is this enlightenment? It will come. And notice, this enlightenment, Krishna says, that is the one by which um, the devotee um, attains me. You really find the real, reality, God realization, enlightenment, that comes at that fourth stage. Because up to the third stage, there is some difference between you and the divinity. So I worship the divinity in this vast universe. So I am this little person and I am a lover of God and I find God everywhere with eyes open, with eyes closed, everywhere. But it's still separate. Eleventh verse. Very beautiful and powerful verse. This is the point of this Vibhuti Yoga, the Yoga of Divine Glories. Teshamevanukam Partham Teshamevanukam Partham Aham Agyanajam Tamaha Aham Agyanajam Tamaha just to bless them, I, residing in their intellect, destroy the darkness born of ignorance by the resplendent light of knowledge. So, out of, just as a blessing to them, from my side, Krishna says, I reside, where? Within them, where? In their intellect, in their understanding. There is a breakthrough which comes. And Krishna says, it comes from me, it comes from God. It requires the grace of God. So, this is sometimes committed non-dualists, they don't understand this. I'll read the books, I'll listen to the YouTube talks, and I'll do a little bit of meditation also. And I'll argue with each and every one I find. Then I'll be enlightened. No, you won't. <laughs> it requires the special grace of God also, in addition to uh, every practice. So he says, Tejhameva Anukampartham. Out of sheer grace, I shall give them this breakthrough, this non-dual realization. And what Shankaracharya does with this, we will see a little later. That's why I got this book. <laughs> uh, but here he points out it is out of grace. This, this is called in uh, Hinduism Anugraha Shakti, the power of grace. God has a lot of powers. God is omnipotent. So God is, for example, so powerful that God creates this universe. God sustains this universe. And at the end of a cosmic cycle, God dissolves at this cosmic dissolution. God controls each and everything in this universe and so on. So every theistic religion considers God to be Omnipotent, all-powerful. One of the powers of God and especially useful to people like us who are spiritual, who are spiritual seekers, is the power of grace. God has anugraha um, shakti, shakti, the power of grace by which we would not be able to really attain to this by our own efforts, this enlightenment and freedom. God makes it possible for us. That bit which we can't do. And this is understood across all theistic religions. This is one of the most important 
I might say, quote-unquote, functions of God to liberate all of us. That's what God loves doing. There's a beautiful story of the Divine Mother as a little girl. You know, in India, uh, boys and girls fly kites. So as a little girl flying kites, and the kites are all tied by the strings, you know, and she holds the strings. And the kites are, there are millions of kites in the sky. And this is the most extraordinary little girl. She holds the strings of all of them, all of us. Once in a while, one of the strings snaps and the kite goes free into the vastness of space. Is she upset that the kite is lost? No. She's delighted. It's a beautiful description in the song that she jumps up and down, clapping her hands in delight. Like, you know, bravo, well done. The rest are still in samsara. She's, she's in charge. But once in a while, she lets one go. So that is the um, description of grace. The whole idea, the entire basic idea in Christian theology of original sin and redemption and the Savior is basically this. That's the core idea. That there's some extraordinary grace which comes without which we just can't do it. Maybe some great sages could do it. Once in a while, once in a million, once in a billion. But the rest of us who are seeking, we try and we find it very difficult. And the difficulty is not God's doing, it's our doing. We have made a mess over many, many lifetimes. And now it's very difficult. Very difficult to break out. So we need a little bit of a help. A little push, a little grace, a little consideration, a little writing of cosmic debts. We can't pay it. We need a presidential write-off. <laughs> and then we get freedom. So that's the anukampa. That is, anukampa means out of grace or just... Uh, unconditional blessings. He doesn't, Lord doesn't want anything in return. Then what does he do? This is the greatest blessing that the Lord can give. Everything is the Lord's blessing. But this is the greatest, the final blessing which sets us free. Aham ajyanajam tama. This tama means darkness, the deep darkness of samsara. He said, with what darkness? I'm pretty happy. It's all well lit. We are in Manhattan. This is 21st century. Everything is fine. It isn't. <laughs> we just don't know we are in deep darkness and that comes from ajnana ajnana means ignorance ignorance of the real nature of who am I what is God what is this universe we don't know so that darkness that darkness is dispelled when the ignorance is dispelled ignorance is dispelled when knowledge comes when enlightenment comes and that Krishna says I nashayami I destroy that darkness how? By destroying that ignorance. How? By lighting the lamp of knowledge. By the, this is the bright, the blazing lamp of knowledge. Where is it lit? In our minds, in our intellects. Now let me see, uh, talk about what Shankaracharya in his commentary. So by the way, this is a commentary by Sridhar Swami, uh, a follower of Adi Shankaracharya. But he is, uh, uh, it is what is called a tika. Tika is a sub-commentary, technically in English it would be called a gloss. So what the Tika, the author does is, explains the words and the relation between the words, um, doesn't push a philosophy, although he's a follower of Shankaracharya. Another feature of this commentary, which is called Subodhini, uh, is, uh, Subodhini means easily understood. So another feature is a beautiful combination of love and knowledge, devotion and knowledge. 
but this is a different uh, matter altogether this is adi shankaracharya's commentary and it's what's called a bhashya bhashya is a full fledged commentary where the writer has an agenda to push and that is a particular philosophical a paradigm and shankaracharya's paradigm is non dualism and he's quite clear about it he's going to interpret the bhagavad gita the teachings of krishna in the paradigm of non dual vedanta advaita vedanta but here he takes the words lamp of knowledge the bright lamp of knowledge and uh, look what he does with it for this i will need my glasses he says gyanadeepena it's one sentence he writes really long sentences so gyanadeepena viveka pratyarupena don't worry i'll explain gyanadeepena viveka pratyarupena bhakti prasada sneha abhishiktena madbhavana abhinivesha vata vata iritena brahmacharyaadi sadhana samskaravat pragyavartina viraktantakaranaadharen विषय व्यावृत्त चित्त राग द्वेष अकलुषित निवात अपवरकस्थेन नित्य प्रवृत्त एकाग्र ध्यान जनित सम्यक दर्शन भास्वता ज्ञानदीपेन इज एक्सप्लेनिंग वन वर्ड द लैंप ऑफ नॉलेज वॉट डज ही मीन बाय द लैंप ऑफ नॉलेज ही सेज it is viveka pratyaya rupena most packed term if there was one viveka the ability to discriminate analyze um to to see through see the world and god are appearing to us together didn't krishna say all these are my divine glories i am the material cause of everything the material cause continues in the um, effect just as the wood continues in the table water in the wave i god continue in this universe and yet the problem is for us we don't see it if i say wood and table you all understand see look at this and i'm showing you a table you say yeah we are seeing a table see look at this i'm showing you the wood you say yes swami i understand what the wood is i'm showing you the same thing but you understand it when i say it's wood you understand it when i say it's table however when i say god continues in this world which he has created or projected we'll say well i understand it intellectually but i still see the same thing the world notice here i'm showing you the same thing you are, you see it as a table and you see it as wood also there's no problem here when we see this world we see it as a world and we should be able to see it as god also but we can't we can't if you could you're enlightened congratulations but you can't god the divinity and this world are coming together mixed with together viveka is that faculty is that capacity that insight which in every experience allows us to distinguish what is name form and function what is maya and what is brahman which is the underlying reality that is called viveka from which the name vivekananda has come it is the basis of non dual vedanta you don't have to get a new experience in every experience god is revealed your your inner divinity is revealed or you can call it if you don't like the god term um brahman the ultimate reality is revealed all the time it's an open secret in every experience 
things exist the very existence of things see if we if we don't know what that means it might sound like an awfully abstract philosophical term the very existence of things i know swami things exist here is a flower vase here are flowers here are i also know in some sense each of them exists and you will say it's the existence of everything but it still sounds pretty vague to the enlightened one it's not at all vague <laughs> it's the most obvious thing if i say to you if somebody says to you i understand that the table is made of wood and the chair is made of wood and the um the it's wood alone which is the altar but you know i see a table and a chair and altar this wood you're talking about sounds very theoretical to me you laugh you will say it's literally it's all, all that there is in fact compared to the wood the table is theoretical compared to the wood the altar is theoretical it's a real substance here to the enlightened one you are what you're calling a world and universe is theoretical it's impractical it's conjured up in by your minds or the buddhists would say it's emptiness so um it is revealed in every experience and that requires viveka how do you do that viveka all of advaita vedanta gives us various techniques the three states of waking dreaming deep sleep and the fourth turiya or drig um, drishya viveka you see the seer and the seen so many different techniques multiple ways you will be led to basically the same thing all of it is packed into one word viveka pratyaya rupena what is that lamp of knowledge that light which is shining it is the viveka pratyaya pratyaya means the understanding insight the breakthrough which comes from viveka which comes from this analysis then see this is the beauty of it he takes the lamp example uh, metaphor very seriously so the flame is viveka pratyaya then bhakti prasada sneha abhishakta shaktena you know it is it is drenched in dipped in so the lamp has oil which burns so it is dipped in the the um bhakti the oil of bhakti or even more precise bhakti prasada because of your deep love for god there is a corresponding return from god what is the return grace prasada that is the oil in which your mind is dipped the the lamp that's the oil which it burns what a beautiful word bhakti prasada i'm just now reminded of this one of the most learned monks but non dualist from whom i learned most of my advaita vedanta one of my masters in the monastery um he's a very senior monk now so i won't take his name but one thing that really touched me here is this vastly learned very uh, incredibly austere i mean it was in when we were novices we discovered that all his life he had been sleeping on the floor we all had beds he used to sleep on, sleep on the floor and it's in our uh, when we were his students as young novices group of us went literally caught him and dragged him out of his room another group got a cot into the room and made a bed and then forced him from that time he's been lying on the bed <laughs> so that kind of austere we <coughs> in that monastery everybody gets up at 3:40 a.m. and that's late and lazy for him he used to get up at 2:30 a.m. and he still does uh, most of his meditation is finished by the time we sleepily you know <laughs> come to the temple so that kind of monk very austere very learned but you know i'd see him go to the temple 
with such great devotion you know he would pluck flowers from the uh, garden and offer it before the image of sri ramakrishna in um the temple in the monastery i said uh, you don't need to swami why do you do that i was just joking half joking but i want you know you get nice replies from and see he gave me a reply which i have still not forgotten he said he turned to me i can still see that his face he said you know i have this feeling those who do even the least bit for sri ram for him he said for sri ramakrishna my feeling is that he will not abandon you in bengali he said অল্প কিছুও যদি করো প্রভুর জন্য প্রভু ফেলবেন না দ্য লর্ড উইল নট অ্যাব্যান্ডেন ইউ সো দিস ইজ হিউমিলিটি দিস ইজ রিয়েল ডিভোশন দিস ইজ দ্য ইউ নো দ্য গ্রেস উইচ কামস ফ্রম ভক্তি আই এম দ্য মোস্ট অস্টিয়ার মোস্ট মেডিটেটিভ মোস্ট লার্নেড অ্যান্ড দ্য মাস্টার অফ অল দি মোনাস্টিক নবিসেস নো নট দ্য স্লাইটেস্ট আই এম দ্য লাইক লিটারেলি ডাস্ট অ্যাট দ্য ফিট অফ দ্য লর্ড and it's only by his grace bhakti prasad how do i get that grace bhakti do the least bit bit for the lord and you will get uh, that prasad that grace anyway shankaracharya just says it is the oil with which the that light of that non dual breakthrough the oil of the lamp is that bhakti prasad it is it is um, immersed in that drenched um yes and this translator says this flame is fed on the uh, oil of devotion then he says mad bhavana abhinivesha vata irite vata irite na that means you know you light a flame you need to fan it a little bit so that it blazes forth it blazes forth by continuous focus on me on god this continuous meditation daily meditation on the here is not talking about atman brahman no no just god the beloved this is krishna this continuous that is the breeze which flames which fans the flame of the non dual breakthrough then he still with the lamp metaphor then he says brahmacharyaadi sadhana um, brahmacharyaadi sadhana samskara samskaravat pragyavartina okay and then he says that uh, the wick which burns then the little black thing which burns in the lamp and that he says your mind strengthened by the disciplines non violence truth brahmacharya celibacy um, you know that non acceptance of being being self sufficient non acceptance of gifts non stealing all those practices the moral practices self control your intellect strengthened with with the samskaras impressions of long practice of a strict moral life and then he says um virakta antakarana aadharena the mind which has deep dispassion i do not want anything in the world that is the foundation of the lamp that's the lamp itself that's the aadhar the base of the lamp then he says um vishaya vata 
Then he says, Vishaya Vata. Vishaya Vata. Vishaya Vyavritta. Chitta Raga Dveshadi Akalushita. A lamp, the flame has to be protected. Once you have lit the lamp, and then the flame has to be protected from gusts of wind. What are the gusts of wind? It is the attractions of the Vishaya, uh, of, the, of the world, likes and dislikes, which are conditioned into the mind. So they may shake the wind, uh, shake the flame. They may even snuff it out for the time being. So that has to be, you have to put something like a, an obstruction, like, a, um, like an encasing. The lamp, sometimes we put a glass encasing around the lamp. So the encasing around the lamp is your uh, cutting out of the world. Going into a retreat, cutting out. For some, Sri Ramakrishna used to say, what is the way for God-realization? He he, one of the things he would say is, Nidjanevas, that means remaining in solitude. Do it for three days, a week, a month, at a stretch. Come back again into this world. But cut out the world once. Um, that, is a, that is the thing which will protect that lamp uh, of non-dual enlightenment. And... He says, um, Nitya pravritta ekagra dhyana janita samyak darshana bhasvata. Bhasvata means bright. Why bright? Because it is continuously polished uh, by the intense focused meditation on this realization, on, on this non-dual realization, staying with it. Totapuri was Sri Ramakrishna's guru, Advaita guru. So he would meditate and his meditation was samadhi. He would stay in samadhi for long hours. Sri Ramakrishna asked him, why do you stay? You are enlightened. You are Brahmagyan. You have realized that you are Brahman. Why do you stay in samadhi? Why do you practice deep meditation every day? And Todapuri told him he had a brass pot. He said that, see, this pot is brass and if you polish it daily, it shines. If you don't polish it, you know, like brass, it's get a layer comes over it. Similar, similarly, the mind, a layer can come over it. You are, you are, Enlightenment won't be disturbed, but a layer can come over the mind. So you need to be immersed in that. Of course, Sri Ramakrishna had to come back to that, as he did for everybody. So he said, yes, but if the pot were made of gold, you wouldn't have to polish it. <laughs> <laughs> and he meant something by that. That is, there is a sahaja state, that is, beyond that, where with eyes closed, eyes open, whether you're practicing meditation or not practicing meditation, Everywhere the same reality effortlessly is present. That's the final state. But before that, this is jnana deepena. This is the meaning of the lamp of knowledge, the the, the flame of non-dual realization, that breakthrough which is made. What will happen next? Let's stop here in case there are questions. What will happen next is Arjunas will say, "I am sold." I get it. It's a beautiful idea. Yeah. Oh, just before I go, go forward, one more thing here. This is true, really. That the Lord, out of grace, gives non-dual realization. There's a direct way in which we try. We read the um, Advaita texts and we, we practice Viveka. Um, you know, we leave the world behind, spend long hours in meditation. We try. But if it is combined with, with surrender to the Lord and devotion to the Lord... Enlightenment comes and I know this um, because of there are 
uh, monks who have actually had this realization and in every case they will say it was not really they were making a lot of effort but they always say that it's not because of the effort it's not because of it's very clear that something else gave us this one monk who did a lot of practice in the mountains and all and got some kind of a non-dual breakthrough um, he said that you know what I attribute it to not my practice not that the fact that I lived in on mountaintops begging for food and spending hours and hours in meditation now no I attribute it to the fact that I went to Jairambati the birthplace of the Holy Mother and in the little temple in Jairambati before the Holy Mother I made a little prayer that you know, I'm fascinated by this non-dual Advaita Vedanta. May I have this realization? Please give it to me. And I got the feeling, it's like um, um, the mother, for her it's nothing. She tossed like, a, like a, a penny, tossing it to me like that. She gave it to me. Just because I asked for it. So it's true. What Krishna says, I give you that non-dual realization. Out of sheer grace. But the lamp of knowledge, you see, uh, Shankaracharya brings in Vedan, Advaita Vedanta, uh, Viveka Pratyaya. He brings in disciplines, Brahmacharya, etc. And the continuous regular practice of moral ethical disciplines. He brings in the beautiful term Bhakti Prasada, the grace which comes with love of God. Uh, and regular staying with it, stay with it. Then only the light becomes bright and it destroys darkness, it destroys ignorance, then it destroys the darkness of samsara. What will happen after this is, Arjuna will say, I'm, I'm sold on this, this is great. Um, can you give me some practical, like practices? You're saying that God is present everywhere, so that's a good, that's a good principle. Can you give me some specific places where I can look for God and you know meditate on God in that way? The rest of the chapter will be like that. But first Arjuna will pray to Krishna. It's such ecstatic terms, beautiful prayer. Uh, he is so um, inspired by what Krishna, what he has heard. He feels, begins to feel that he is in the presence of, veritably in the presence of an avatar of. He begins to believe that, yes. Um, so can you show me the vibhuti, the glory here? I see the world, but you're telling me this is divine glory. Can you show me that's divine glory? Can you show me God here? Krishna will give you, give him a list. Then Arjuna's Hunger is not sated. And then in the 11th chapter, he will say, yeah, this is all very good. And these are practices. I'm sure I'll do them someday. But now I want to directly see God in this entire universe. Can you show me directly? Without my practice. You just show me. <laughs> and one actually shouldn't do that. But Krishna says, all right, you ask me. And, it, and in the whole 11th chapter, will Krishna will show him. And how? One of the most magnificent you know, pieces of Sanskrit poetry ever, the vision of God. But remember, that's great, then that's what we should look for. No, 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 no. Because at the end of it, all that happened was Arjuna was terrified. <laughs> he said, take it back, I can't bear it, it's unbearable. He said, I'll die if, if this goes on. All right. Um, anybody has a question? Today what we are going to do is, a microphone will come to you. Tell us your name and ask a brief question. Because there have been people from the internet audience who said that we can't hear the questions. My name is Dinesh. Yes. And um, since you talked about the various forms of God and the vision of God, just the significance of the symbol and the word Om, 
because that is formless, it's a symbol, and we meditate on that, but we really can't imagine what it is. So it's a slightly tangential, but can you just emphasize, you know, what Om means? And yes, uh, I'll just mention briefly, Mandukya Upanishad is the best go-to text for Om, what Om means. And there, it's pointed out, Om can be used as a symbol, Pratika, symbol of God. Om can be used um, as something that you chant, as a mantra. But most importantly, Om is Jnana, is, is direct revelation of the non-dual knowledge. Um, the A, U, Ma. It has three sounds. Om has three sounds. A, U, Ma. I mean, approximated by the English A, U, M. But don't pronounce it as Aum. You'll say, I didn't know it was uh, 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 um, uh, till now. Uh, I used to say Om, but now I have realized it's Aum. Don't do that. That's a little knowledge is dangerous. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. So Om is the correct pronunciation. Because of the rules of Sanskrit grammar, when you put A uh and U together, it becomes O. So the English OM is actually, fortunately, uh, precise. It's correct. Um, the A uh stands for you and this waking universe. And at the cosmic level for the entire universe and consciousness associated with that. U stands for the subtle universe. Subtle universe means our thoughts, feelings, emotions. You the consciousness with your entire inner world. And at the cosmic level, the cosmic mind. Consciousness with the cosmic mind called Hiranyagarbha. And then at the causal level, Ma, the last part. M. A, U, M. Ma. That stands for you in your deep sleep state. The consciousness in associated with um, the seed state or deep sleep. At the cosmic level, it stands for God. Consciousness with Maya, the power of Maya, the causal power, which produces this entire universe. And it says, it says that just as waking, dreaming, deep sleep, a, uma, all belong to the one you. Therefore, what is it that, that is in and through and yet not limited by waking, dreaming, deep sleep. That one consciousness to which appears the waking world, the dream world and the deep sleep world. That consciousness in itself is called the fourth, the silence after Om. You chant prolonged Om. So that's the deep meaning of Om. But you may not go into that. You may, you may just use Om as a mantra for chanting. Uh, it can be used for meditation. In fact, in Advaita Vedanta say, um, Dirga Pranava Uchcharana. Prolonged chanting of Om is one of the most powerful ways of calming down the mind in meditation. I remember this great master, one of the few I thought was non-enlightened. Um, so a monk comes to him and asks, new monk, newly minted monk, not me, somebody else. I said, I become a monk now, and non-dualist. Now what do I do? That's exactly the wrong question to ask. It means you haven't understood Advaita Vedanta at all. <laughs> and the that Swami chuckled. He said in Hindi, ah, tok, ab kya karoge? <laughs> And then he, he was very compassionate. He said, Lo, Om Ucharan karo, chant Om. Mm. That, he wanted a practice. Okay, I've become a monk, a newly minted monk. I've given up the universe, the world and everything. I'm a monk. And, but now what do I do? <laughs> so the old Swami said, all right, if you want to do something, chant Om. But the real answer is the real meaning of Om. Auma, the consciousness beyond Om. If you've got it, you won't ask a question like, what do I do? You can do anything or nothing at all. It's perfectly all right. Um, even if that also you don't know, one step uh, below that is, 
Om as a pratika, as a symbol for worship. Om is added to all mantras. Om itself can be worshipped. So, yeah, it's the highest symbol, the highest mantra, and the highest knowledge. Om. And by the way, it's equally important in Hinduism, in Buddhism, and if I'm not wrong, Jainism and Sikhism, definitely. The highest reality in Sikhism is Ik Omkar, one Om. So, next question. Please tell us your name and ask a brief question. Can you hear me? Yeah. Thank you. My name is Sanjeev Yajnik. First of all, it's wonderful to be here. I've been following you from Dallas, and this is the first time I'm here. I'm going to be in Dallas in uh, September. There's going to be a retreat. There is a Vedanta Center in uh, Dallas, Fort, Fort Worth area. So I'll be there for three days. Anyway, so if you can come. I do, yes, yes. Okay. Once in a while. Yes. Yes. Is Krishna at that point pointing to himself as Brahman? Mm -hmm. So, so is Krishna Brahman? One way would be, you devote Krishna is clearly saying, be devoted to me. That's per perfectly all right. Now, if I think Krishna is that charioteer of Arjuna in the battlefield of Kurukshetra, so that's one form. That's the first stage I talked about. Krishna explain, explains, or I talked about the first first way of looking at God, exclusively in that particular form. That's not wrong, because that's the literal interpretation of what Krishna said. But then you'll have to leave out a lot of other things. Krishna is going into so much of, um, you know, deeper philosophy. So Krishna can't just be the charioteer of Arjuna, just be that avatar there. So the next highest higher level is Krishna is Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, the one impersonal God who is worshipped as Krishna, as Rama, as Vishnu, as Devi, as Ganesha, Kartikeya, the Father in Heaven, Allah, every theistic God is an approximation to that one impersonal principle. That's what Krishna means. Then even further, what he's saying in Vibhuti Yoga, look at this universe. This universe is also Krishna in the sense that if Krishna is the material cause of this entire universe, then Krishna must be in everything as the material cause of the universe. And then finally is what you mentioned Advaita Vedanta. He says, I'll give you Buddhi Yoga. You will say, what gives you the uh, right to say that Buddhi Yoga is... Uh, he says Buddhi Yoga. He doesn't say, I'll tell you Advaita Vedanta or Aham Brahmasmi. So what gives you the right to say uh, Buddhi Yoga is the Advaitic knowledge? Well, I'm using Shankaracharya's commentary, Bhashya. So ultimately it is the non-dual realization. A devotee may not want that. The devotee may just want, I am the, I want to be, um, I want to eat sugar, taste sugar, not become sugar. Yeah. I want to love Krishna. I don't want to be one with Krishna. That also is possible. That's fine too. Any more? One or two more we can take. Uh, yes. Tell us your name and ask the question. Is, is it audible? Is it on? Pranam yes. Swamiji. Uh, my name is Nalini Kant. Uh, first time here, I am from Atlanta. Uh, so, as I understood, after every uh, thing, finally the grace is required for the enlightenment. 
in family life when most of uh, others are purely into devotional path uh, how to harmonize when someone is more interested in vedantic uh, study and all as a family how to progress towards that mm. can you advise something yes the purpose of all those devotional practices is this knowledge according to krishna first of all we must realize there is nothing wrong with uh, being an advaitin or non dualist because the purpose of all that devotion all those disciplines krishna himself says buddhi yoga i will give you the final thing is this realization that not only am i god not only am i the one divine principle who was worshiped as all the gods in all the religions not only am i that one reality which you see as the universe but i and you are one you are that you are that divinity now how do you harmonize this harmony is a good word you should not try to force them into your way of th- uh, looking at it and they should not you should not allow them to be to to overwhelm you with pujas and uh, rituals and all no uh, i remember this gentleman who was initiated by swami bhuteshananda ji uh, um he was very fond of advaitic studies a bengali gentleman and he once asked swami bhuteshananda ji who was the president of our order asked him you know you have given me the mantra god i have to repeat the mantra love god all of that meditate but i am more pulled towards this non dual knowledge advaita vedanta and i feel a little guilty about that and bodhishan ji says in bengali he said aitai to darkar this is what is necessary if it if you are pulled towards this advaitic realization then that's the point of it all as far as everybody else is concerned so of course i am i, I am a devotee you are like you are all devotees of krishna or jagannath or you know Uh, in whichever form you worship god so am i mm. one advaitin uh, great master he said in hindi when shankaracharya taught all this uh, this interpretation bhashya the other hindus who were at that time great uh, you know ritualistic vedic ritualists the mimamsakas purva mimamsakas they said are these people hindus at all uh, uh, do they believe in god do they believe in the sacred rivers do they go on teetha pilgrimages and the answer was ha baba <laughs> yes my <laughs> we also bow down before god we also perform pujas we also can go take a dip in the uh, ganga the holy ganga we, we also go and can go to pilgrimages so uh, none of that however our understanding we would claim is a deeper understanding of all of these whether it's a puja or a i am reminded of swami jagadananda ji who was a disciple of ma sharada again regarded in his lifetime as an enlightened person in our order and he has translated some amazing vedantic texts um one day in his old age in our ashram near dehradun there is a place called kishanpur so there he used to live in his old age that swami he was plucking flowers in the garden for the worship of sri ramakrishna in the shrine and a brahmacharya novice looked at him this wise old revered universally revered highly learned non dualistic swami in his old age picking flowers early in the morning from the garden so that he go to the shrine for worship and he said and he was uh, taken aback he said swami you are picking flowers you're pl- plucking flowers for uh, the ritualistic worship in and then the swami he was supposed i never saw him supposed to be very tall and, and had a sweetest smile so he looked down at that brahmacharya and gave that sweet smile and he said 
then my boy tell me what should i do in bengali he said tahale tumi bolo ami ki kori what should i do then see pointing out to that to brahmachari that brahmachari had that idea that this is for beginners like us you know i'll get flowers for the lord and i will do a little worship or you know cut the fruits for the offering that's us but you are a great non dualist swami you will either study vedanta or remain immersed in samadhi this all this is far too low for you for the non dualist all of it is the same because the same brahman not a lower grade of brahman by studying vedanta you don't get brahman plus <laughs> and by doing ritualistic worship it's not that you have lost the non dual realization it's the same thing for the enlightened person so you can happily engage you have to just change your inner attitude towards the puja the devotional practices when the kirtan is going on when the puja is going on same one existence consciousness place appearing as the ishta devata or as saguna brahman as bhagavan who is being worshiped there having said that stick to your advaitic um, i'll end with something which, which others might find offensive but uh, an advaitic teacher said having got the higher don't go back to the lower <laughs> he is quite unapologetic about it and he told a story the story is this hanuman when he was he went to uh, lanka the court of the king ravana you know he's on a mission for the lord rama and then it was his ravana's son indrajit who had the brahmastra the the you know the great the mightiest divine weapon and he could use it just once some such story is there and he used it to knock out hanuman so hanuman and brahmastra the, the divine weapon the greatest weapon of the gods comes to hanuman he says actually i can't do anything to you but would you please become unconscious because otherwise it's a question of prestige you know <laughs> i am the latest product of you know <laughs> from the latest smart cruise missile stealth and what not i know it i won't work it won't work but could you please and so he says i will for the prestige of brahma i will Uh, fall unconscious so hanuman falls unconscious and the, the rakshasas the demons capture him now the demons being demons they were a little suspicious they said this mighty hanuman he is lying unconscious who knows what this weird brahmastra is will it work or not i'm i'm very anxious you know so all right brahmastra is great but let's tie him up with ropes just 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 in case so they tied him up with ropes hanuman they tied him up with ropes the brahmastra was mightily insulted so what <laughs> i have knocked out hanuman or at least for me hanuman is unconscious and now you want to tie him you don't know who he is you want to tie him with your stupid ropes all right i'm going bye <laughs> and brahmastra left and hanuman opened his eyes <laughs> and the ropes were nothing to him and then you know what happened he escaped from that and he destroyed the city of lanka and everything uh, now the story is having attained to non dual knowledge and realization all right this is great but that i mean this is wonderful i'll have this but that little puja and that little uh, uh, you know the amulet which i'll tie here and a little uh, astrology don't try that <laughs> you have got the highest the point of it all don't try to supplement it with something far far lower 
I usually don't do this. Ad Advaita Vedanta is very relaxed with all other approaches. It's like a wise old grandfather. So it's whatever the grandchildren do is fine. Somebody asked this great non-dualist Swami in, in the... He was actually in um, Vrindavan. So this... Um, they asked him, knowing that he's a non-dualist, which is greater, bhakti or jnana? Path of love or path of knowledge? Which is greater, love or knowledge? Devotion, bhakti or jnana? Immediately that Swami, who was a non-dualist, he said bhakti in Hindi, bhakti badi hai. Bhakti is always, love is always greater. And then... Uh, they were puzzled. See, if love is greater, then what about knowledge? This non-dual knowledge, which you are teaching all your life. Bhakti badi hai to gyan kya hai? What about gyan or knowledge? And this Swami replied, Oh, I'll tell you in Hindi and translate. Gyan, gyan mein koi bada chota nahi hota hai. In knowledge, there is no higher or lower. So, you see? Which is greater, love or knowledge? Love is greater, he says straight away. And then what about knowledge? Like in knowledge, there is no greater or lower. <laughs> So you see, uh, he, he doesn't compromise on uh, uh, the glory of knowledge. Note the glory of knowledge and then give full, full play to meditation, devotion, work, whatever you want to do. It's only on the basis of this non-dual knowledge. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, tie the knowledge of Advaita, non-duality, to the hem of your cloth and then do whatever you like. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu